Hello and welcome to the Everyday Problems podcast, a podcast about the problems we face each day as we go about our busy lives. I'm Tom Corneal and my co-host Liam Tarvit and I have had many dealings with depression and anxiety and other related issues and wanted to provide a safe space where we can normalise the conversation around mental health and its impact on everything from the workplace to grief to just getting through the day. I should point out that we're not medical professionals and we don't profess to have all the answers, but we are veterans of the embattled mind and we hope that by sharing our war stories we might shed some light on solutions that could be useful to you or people that you know. This is the second episode in which you'll get to know your host that little bit more intimately. This time around we're hearing from Mr Liam Tarbit, one half of the Everyday Problems podcast team and we'll get to understand a little bit more about what got Liam to where he is now. So without further ado, here is Mr. Liam Tarbit. Thanks for joining us this week. Apologies for uh, the massive delay in getting this episode out. Uh, Tom recorded a similar solo episode a few months ago where he just sort of talked about his journey and, and how he's got to where he is now. So this is my attempt to do the same. Uh, it has taken me a, a while to get around to doing it, but I've got a rare day off in the week, so I'm, I'm out for a walk to do it today. It's quite breezy, uh, sunny day at the end of October, and yeah, I thought it's a good opportunity to, to finally get it done, so I'm, I'm just really sorry for any uh, delays and uh, for people that have been waiting, and also sorry if the wind is a bit too strong at points uh, on the microphone but hopefully it's okay so me so I was born in Buckinghamshire uh, in the town of Aylesbury 42 years and one day ago and grew up uh, in Aylesbury lived there for until I was about 12 and then moved to uh, a little village outside Aylesbury called Wadston where I, where I stayed until my kind of early 20s, I guess. Um, I went to to village school in Wadston and um, at a sort of, I don't know, a difficult time at school, I suppose. I didn't really, I didn't love it. Um, I had times when I really disliked it. Um, had good mates at school, still friends with lots of people that I went to school with. Um, so it wasn't really a case of like not fitting in or anything like that. I just really kind of struggled to um, engage, and I think it was just you know typical. Well, if such a thing exists, typical kind of teenage boy that was not really interested in history and geography and German and you know all sorts of other all the other things that you do at school. So um, yes, I didn't really like it. I, you know, skived off school quite a lot in my, especially my kind of last two years there, um, it, which is obviously build up to GCSEs. I think, yeah, my attendance was was sort of abysmal, um, and that that really uh, that really became apparent. I think once I got to like GCSE time, I left school after my GCSEs with four, just four GCSEs. Um, and yeah, sort of was a was kind of a little bit lost for a year. Had a had a, a year of crappy jobs in retail, McDonald's, 
working in pubs, worked for my dad for, for quite a while. My dad is, uh, dad was, he's retired now, self-employed plasterer, so it's his labourer as well, on and off. Uh, and that's something that I've sort of done throughout the most majority of my 20s <laughs> sorry um, yeah I did for the majority of my 20s and um, anyway had a year of doing that then went back to college to do a music course which I struggled to engage with really I kind of scraped through did like I'd done at school uh, just the bare minimum um, and I really, yeah, just really had difficulty kind of applying myself and came out of that, again, a little bit kind of lost, had some random jobs uh, for that summer, went back to working for my dad for a few months, and then a friend of mine uh, managed to get me a job working uh, for uh, in a factory, a uh, distribution factory, uh, for Sony Music, um, which I loved, and I worked there for four years, and it and it really gave me sort of something that I hadn't really thought about before. It wasn't it wasn't difficult work. It wasn't uh, really kind of rewarding work. But I worked with a couple of different teams that I was in. That were just some really great people that built really fantastic relationships with and you know really sort of close-knit going out for beers after work my, my kind of social life moved from people I'd grown up with to people that I worked with and it was really um yeah I really enjoyed working there so I was there for four years I left to do uh ski season so I spent six months in Canada came back from that with the intention of a sort of working with my dad and, and probably looking to kind of emulate what he'd done with his uh, built up a really successful business on his own and kind of wanted to see if there if there was something in that for me um, to have that independence and that sort of confidence to be able to um, make those decisions and things for myself so I did that for the first six months that I was back, um, then I had a, oh yeah, then I had a uh, an injury in my shoulder that I did snowboarding. Gone on a uh, a week away uh, for for a charity called Backup Trust, a fantastic charity um, that enables paraplegics and tetraplegics to ski, um, and I injured myself there um, quite badly and it sort of put paid to me really doing physical work for for some time so then I then it was like back to the drawing board really um, and I had a I guess a, a bit of an a, a bit of an epiphany um, a few months into that uh, injury that maybe I could become a teacher um, which when I say it now sounds ridiculous I think how much I hated school it seemed like a weird thing to do anyhow I managed to uh, get in contact with one of my old teachers an amazing uh, chap Jeremy Davis who is sadly no longer with us um, but a fantastic teacher and all round just lovely guy um, he helped me spend a week in, in um, my old school 
shadowing teachers, sitting in, in classrooms, that type of thing. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fantastic. Um, loved uh, spending time there and, and kind of seeing a different side of, of, of school, very different to the side of school that I'd seen. And, and I kind of thought, well, that's for me. So um, what do you do when you're 25 and you've got four GCSEs to your name? And you want to become a teacher, I had to go back to education. So um, I went to college for a year and fast-tracked um, A-levels to enable myself to go to university. And um, that was that was great uh, time for me. I really kind of felt like I thrived going back to, to education. I was with a group of people various ages, so... I, was probably one of the the younger ones in the group at, at 25 people right up to their, their kind of late 50s in the group who were doing the same thing to get themselves the opportunity to 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 kind of get back into education and ultimately to go to university so I did that for a year um did really well and um from there went to uh, came to Bath for the first time I came to university here at Bath Spa to study English and education um, and the whole u- university experience was, was great for me I, I had um, what I've kind of subsequently learned as a, as a kind of transformational experience with it really it, it really opened my eyes to what education is um, and, what, and what it means and how powerful it can be and I just had a the, the best three years really I really enjoyed um, the, the all elements of it so the, the kind of independent working of it but the, the kind of being part of I guess something bigger that you could kind of see where the, the, what, the, what our professors and academic staff were doing because uh, it was quite a small university you can see their research and, and how that works and where their passions lie and, and really what's important to them and I just yeah I absolutely loved that side of it so I was there for three years and then moved to Brighton um, to do my PGCE teacher training and that was where the kind of wheels fell off it all really I've, I've I'd had a course leader who was had been a phenomenally um, successful teacher had kind of national recognition for work he'd done in the classroom and people's lives that he turned around was his stories super inspirational but I didn't really connect with him I felt like the I, I felt quite a lot of pressure from him that that we all needed to aspire to be like him and that probably put me off on the on the wrong foot I, I subsequently went on a placement where I um where I just found the, the kind of dynamics of teaching to be really different from what I experienced in that week that I'd done. It was always going to be a kind of rose-tinted version of it, but um, just found it to be really different and the kind of uh, staff room politics and things like that. It just felt like, it just felt like quite, a, quite a strange environment, really. It's, it's kind of no reflection of... Uh, of society school for me I don't I don't think anyway so I really struggled with that um, we I moved to Brighton with with Kate my partner who we who I met at university and we had a difficult time in moving to Brighton we found a flat that we loved that was 
pretty much on the seafront. And within a within a week of kind of living there, there, there was people in the flat above us, and there was this sort of undertone of domestic violence with them that made it a really difficult place to live. Um, Kate found it really difficult to to find work whilst we were there. Uh, it was sort of 2009, so it's a kind of back end of the 2008 economic crash. There was a, a, a quite a lot of I think not, unemployment was super high at that point so the job market was really competitive and um, Brighton's obviously a you know sort of desirable place for people to be so everything was really competitive from that point of view um, so we always sort of we felt like we were up against it really all the way there was a I've gone away for the weekend it was um, one of my mate's birthdays and Milton Keynes and I'd got the train back to Brighton and I sort of had a bit of um, uh, <laughs> gave myself a bit of a talking to I suppose because I'd almost almost given up on the teacher training and I sort of remember thinking to myself you've got to stick at it, you've really got to pull through and get through it's the challenge, it's a difficult moment but you can you can get past it and get beyond it. And uh, I got back to Brighton in the afternoon, walked to the flat, and Kate had been somewhere else, been away for the weekend as well. And uh, I went to open the door and I could hear what I thought was the shower running. I thought, that's so strange, Kate's not here. I've been texting her or whatever on the train. I thought, she's not here. So I opened the door and there was just water just coming through our ceiling in our flat. I don't know where it come from, well, obviously above us, so there was some sort of leak in the flat above us. And uh, it come through the walls in the in the bedroom and all sorts, and it was just a, it just felt like a, a sign to just kind of say, this, this you shouldn't be here. And, and we both sort of took it as that, really, so we then had a, a difficult, um, difficult decision to make. In, in terms of leaving Brighton, we both had to go to our respective parents' houses. So weren't living together and trying to get a job, as I said, were in a time when the, the job market was was less than ideal to be to be unemployed. So that that then was a very hard few months, a difficult winter. Um, and someone told us, I'm sorry, I'm really out of breath, I'm walking up a quite a steep hill. <laughs> Someone told us um, that they were looking for people at Apple. Not sure how we how we got onto it, but um, we we both went, both Kate and I went for jobs at Apple. Got jobs at Apple, and that was a real um, that was that was a, yeah real kind of um, I don't know what the word is. Just a just a like positive thing really for us, just to both get work. Enabled us to move back to Bath, um, which has begun to has begun to feel more and more like home and our base. It's where we met. Neither of us are from there, so yeah, it's sort of a mutual ground if you like. So enabled us to go back to there. When I was going through the recruitment with Apple, they got quite a long recruitment process, and um, I I'd applied for a operational role in this sort of a stock room back at house type thing and progressed from that uh, through the interview thing into uh, to actually sort of run that team which was amazing it, it, it I'd, I'd kind of had experience of 
leadership at, at Sony, um, when uh, a guy who's so important for me in terms of what I've learned about work, Danny Bayliss, my old boss there, uh, had a, a bit of a break um, for a, a medical procedure. So I sort of filled in for him and that was, uh, that gave me a bit of a taste of it. I'd run some summer schools and things whilst at university. So I'd got some experience of leadership and Apple put that faith in me to take that team on and it just gave me a lot of confidence. Um, kind of felt like I'd got a bit of control back of what where I was going and what I was doing. And although it was not something I'd ever really thought about um, going into, it was, yeah, I was a bit lost at the time and it, and it came along at the, perfect, at the perfect time for me. So I spent three years there at Apple, um, met amazing people. They, you know, kind of love, love or hate these um, huge companies. One thing that they do there that is... Um, I've never never been anywhere before or after like it is their recruitment process is amazing they get incredible people working there and love lovely lovely people not just people that are good at their job but lovely people so yeah met lots of friends and lots of people that I'm still really close to now um from working there I was there for three years and started to look around at what other opportunities there might be we've moved to uh, to London, Kate had got a transfer into London, so we moved. Uh, we'd moved there, and I just started looking at what opportunities they were. And one of the things I'd done whilst I was at university in Bath was had quite a lot of kind of admin jobs and advice jobs for the university. So either where they just needed someone to go and you know blast a, a, a few tasks out, or kind of position one position I had through pretty much throughout my time at university working in. I like student employment centre so we've got experience of working for the uni and I really it was another part of being at the university that I really liked so my um, boss at, at Barshvar Juliet she was another one of those people that um, had a really big impact I formed a really good relationship with her so she managed to get me these sort of like odd little bits of work here and there and um yeah, it sort of set me up really to go back in and so I got a job at University of London at Royal Holloway and was there for a year um, and that was that was good, I really enjoyed that and it was, it was I'd lost the, in order to move from one sector to another, I'd sort of have to, had to let go of some responsibility uh, that I had to get myself moved across and that was a big quite a big decision really to do that because I found I did find it frustrating going into a role where I had less influence so it was only ever really going to be a, a kind of bridge in role and, a, and a, a, a foot in the door type role so I was there for about a year um, and then since then I've moved kind of back into leadership roles and setting up new services um, firstly back in Bath and, and now where I work in Bristol. So then, um, kind of alongside all of that, uh, is, is the thing that uh, sort of brought Tom and I together. I know we've talked about that in the in the pod before, so um, won't go kind of too much into that, like how we got to know each other. Um, but it was very much about 
both of our struggles of uh, with our mental health and that's kind of been something that that slots in at different stages uh, uh, along my my journey um so yeah it's sort of hot it's, it's it's kind of hard to do it in the same linear fashion i find that quite difficult um i think my first probably well now i i, I feel quite confident in in terms of pinpointing what my first noticeable um impact that what was the first noticeable impact on my depression i didn't realize it at the time and took me probably only and in, in, in really the last few years when i started to talk about things and um reflect on it in a in a more mindful way uh to to kind of understand it there was something that happened when i was a uh, when i was a kid i don't know really how old i would have been maybe eight and there was a bunch of us, me and my sister, and a bunch of like a neighbourhood kids in the in the estate that we grew up in. It was a, there was a little like green kind of not even a playing field to just did like a little bit of grass basically across the road from us, and we we're hanging out on there. I don't know what we were doing. We we're all on the bikes, and some of the kids said, "Let's go to wherever on our bikes," and I just didn't want to go. I just sort of said, "No, I'm not going." I'm going to go home and, and I remember my sister still sort of says it now that she would have never have felt like that was something you could say to other kids like she'd never have felt confident to say no I'm not going and just gone off and done her own thing which I, I'd always sort of taken as like I'd always looked at it as like I was comfortable being on my own and being independent and what have you but actually now on reflection I think that probably was like the f- the first moment where I um, I would have preferred to have like been on my own than to go and do something that I wasn't that bothered about and I think that's part of the, the kind of cycle of my own depression whether or not you know I don't think I it, I don't think I was depressed at that point but I think that that's something that's sort of been a behaviour that I've observed observed in myself again and again and something that I have to really battle with so I think that was possibly the first thing I can pinpoint um I'd, I'd honestly don't know what was what what was behind it and why I didn't want to go but um yeah <laughs> I guess that's just like yeah that's the first thing I can kind of think of now and then I sort of different spells throughout my teenage years of uh and particularly with school where i where i really struggled at school and struggled to be motivated and engaged i think now that there's that kind of same feeling of wanting to withdraw from things and it being easier to skip away from things and sort of be on my own and um then kind of face up to it i definitely wouldn't have had the maturity or the uh language to be able to express it in a way that um that would have made sense to anybody i um i first went to the doctors about it when i think i was maybe maybe had just turned or not long been 18 um because I just yeah struggled to basically get out of bed and and kind of engage with things and my doctor at the time was 
really amazing actually. I, I, I probably didn't understand, still don't I guess in a lot of ways, but um, I definitely didn't understand the enormity of what he was saying, I, even though uh, he was quite clear um, that I was, that I was depressed, uh, that I was uh, displaying the symptoms of depression that uh, I, yeah, I just didn't really understand what it meant I didn't go away from that and then talk to anybody else, I didn't have a conversation with my parents really about it um, I didn't have any kind of dialogue with any of my mates about it and just just probably buried my head in the sand a little bit got some medication that I didn't really uh didn't complete as a course, so it didn't really didn't really have much of an impact as a result of that. Um, the kind of other things going on in my life at the around that time that um, that was that were difficult and um, and I think I sort of put a, a lot of the emphasis on being those those things. My parents separated for a short while and. Uh, I'd moved uh, away to go to college and found that that kind of journey um, to be quite an, an awkward spell in my life. I wasn't really mature enough to, to kind of be out on my own, but I, that was sort of how I felt I wanted to be. So living away from, from home was, um, yeah, I just sort of, I kind of attributed it, attributed it all to, down to that. Um, and, and now, with hindsight, I know that actually part of the part of the problem and the and the and the struggle that I was having with my situation was because of my depression. I wasn't depressed because of my situation, so it was a bit of a kind of vicious circle. Um, but I just, yeah, didn't didn't have the the wherewithal to to kind of look at it and look at it objectively. I suppose that then kind of ebbed and flowed really I think throughout my early 20s I had a couple of spells where um, I found it really difficult to get motivated um, and uh, a, a couple of times when I had to sort of have a little breaks from work um, and always kind of looked at it really as 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 like a almost like more like a physical illness I think in terms of something that you have a break you feel a bit better you go back to work you're past it you're over it I didn't again hadn't really got to that point of understanding that this is this is probably going to be something that's always going to be there and you need to find a way to um to manage it and and cope with it longer term post that um as I said earlier on, I had this sort of physical injury that that, that limited some of my options, um, but in a way sort of ended up really opening a bit of a door for me in terms of going back to education. And I think I had a few years where I where I really did did quite well with it. I think I was in a in a place where as as anyone who's been to university knows, it's it's not always that demanding on your time. So I think it gave me uh, it gave me good opportunities to get up to speed, uh, you know, to sort of keep myself at, uh, at a good level and, um, and, and manage it through 
manage it because of that. Um, but also I was really happy with what I was doing as well. And I think that, you know, I, I felt like there was, I did have a goal, I did have a name, I did, did have what felt like purpose, which I talk about that feeling of purposeness um, in a little while, because uh, that's an important one to how I feel and how I respond to things. I got through that period and, yeah, like I said, was, was feeling good. Even down to when I when I stopped doing the teacher training, still felt in quite a good place. I think that there were there were lots of problems. It wasn't just one thing that stopped me from from continuing that path. Um, so it was it was quite easy to put your finger on it. And there was there was one thing. Probably should have talked about this earlier. One key thing when I stopped doing teaching which isn't to do with my depression, but I think it's a good explanation, really, as to why I stopped doing it. It wasn't anything dramatic. It wasn't anything, uh, you know, some um, kind of huge incident that happened. But it it, it was re it had a massive effect on me. So I was teaching a Year 10 class, and I'd set them an activity, and the whole class just head down, getting on with it, well-behaved. There's no, you know, discipline issue or anything like that. There's one boy in the classroom who's just sat looking out the window. And I looked at this boy and I just saw myself when I was at school and I just saw that he got no interest in it. It didn't mean anything to him. This, you know, some, I don't know, grammatical task that he had to do. And um, I kind of looked at this kid and just thought, I haven't got the heart to go over and say to him, what are you doing? Come on, do this task. Because I, I, I just completely um and i i suppose i yeah i empathize with how he with him just looking out the window and just not really being engaged and it just i felt like a bit of a fraud really and and that was a probably two months three months into two months into teacher training i was like how am i going to do this every, every day or every week is go and say to somebody come on you need to do this work when actually i'd not I'd been like that myself and I understood it and that was that that was like the the flick switching really to be like this isn't the place for you you're not in the you're not in a place where you can uh, you can contribute because you couldn't just let him sit there and do nothing as well that's not that's not what I was paid for that's not what my job was so yeah um that was the that was the the big moment in terms of the teaching there were the other things that happened like I talked about earlier in terms of you know a flat and work and other things but um yeah, so um, anyhow, depression kept on a sort of good level, I think, for a number of years. Um, and even through that period, I don't think I really, I really had any kind of major incidents or periods where I, where I really did find it difficult. Um, that changed quite a lot um, about a year into uh, or maybe not even a year, short while into my time at Apple anyway. Um, one of my, one of my good friends from school, um, took his own life. Um, he'd had a difficult, um, spell with, uh, relationships and alcohol and, and drugs and, and, um, 
gone on for 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 kind of a, quite a long time and and um that was the that was the conclusion of of that really for him and it it hit me really hard um lots of those um lots of those feelings that I'd experienced in my early 20s started to come back um kind of in in full force really um that lack of motivation questioning the the kind of pointlessness of existence and these sort of existential questions that I'd found a, a bit of a um on on my sort of discoveries at, at university I'd I'd found about people who'd asked those same questions and I'd and I'd found real um like feelings of of um familiarity with those things but I'd never been in that but I'd been in a good place myself mentally when I'd when I'd kind of discovered Sartre and things like that Camus um that sort of ex- existentialist idea so then it sort of led me a little bit back into that and that sent me in a in a in a real bad downward spiral that lasted a, now when I think about it I thought, sort of think it lasted probably three or four years and it wasn't that I was always at rock bottom but I struggled to really get out, out of the pit of it and um yeah, that was that was definitely the catalyst. Adam Adam's death, and uh, I broke my heart, and I, I, you know, I still think about him all the time. And he was just a such a lovely guy. He was he had the best sense of humour. Um, he introduced me to The Big Lebowski, which is the most amazing film of all time as well. So every time I see that, that's sort of a little bit of him that. Um, I remember with that, but it, yeah, it, it, I was devastated from that, and it and it, I, I really struggled to get to get past it. I think it it pulled me into a place I hadn't been for a long time, and those sort of feelings overtook um, at a time when there was a lot, quite a lot of change going on in my life as well. So professionally, I was making some good moves forward. I was doing doing quite well felt like I'd recovered um, from the, the setback of the of the teacher training and, and, and was kind of getting to where I felt I needed to be for, for my age at the time. Hello, cows. <laughs> uh, yeah, I felt like I'd done, I'd, I'd sort of done well with that. But, but the, the other side of it, my personal life, I was really struggling to balance that and I, and I didn't have an outlet um, in terms of expressing it, um, and it, yeah, it took me a, a, a kind of long time to get past that. That then sort of re- did did get better. Um, got some help through GPs, um, medication primarily, and um, was good for a, for a couple of years, and then. About two or well, two years ago, um, started a new started a new job, my current job at Bristol, and had a um, had a really awful moment where I it would come out of the blue, came quite unexpectedly, and and I really felt like 
I just didn't want to carry on. Um, I kind of felt like I'd given up on everything really and um, got myself to got myself to the the GP on on that day, which I think was really an important thing to do. And I sort of went feel like I almost went into kind of autopilot of feeling how I felt and feeling like I yeah basically like I, I had enough and didn't didn't want to do these things anymore with some traffic going on uh yeah it felt like I sort of just wanted to 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 stop where I was and just stop what I was doing um yeah I went into autopilot and got myself to the GP who the GP I saw that day was like right you know, I'm going to sign you off work for a couple of weeks. You need to get into a headspace where you can process this stuff and think about it. Um, because I was a, I was a mess, and I don't, yeah, it just came really quite unexpectedly and out of the blue. And off the back of that, that within that first couple of weeks that I was off, I met Tom and uh, had really strange meeting with Tom the first time I met him in a cafe in um, a little village just outside Bath and um, but a really honest conversation about how I was feeling and lots of things that he was able to relate to and understand and I think sometimes just to just just listen and absorb it but I felt really immediately like really safe talking to Tom in a way that I hadn't with other people which was you know I don't know strange for someone who's a, who's not a complete stranger because he'd been friends with my partner for um for a number of years but I, I'd never met him I'd never met him in the pub or anything like that before so the first time I met him was sort of both of us un- unleashing on uh, our, our sort of deepest feelings of um yeah helplessness worthlessness pointlessness that type of thing so that that helped me immeasurably um and I'm you know so so grateful for 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 Tom for spending his afternoon with me that day and and to my partner for really sort of encouraging me to do it to go and see him and and, and helping me do that and that, that obviously then has has led to us talking quite openly about things which in turn I've had many people talk to me about how they feel and it's really you know quite a uh, quite a, a, a powerful thing that that someone feels like they can say to you I need I, I need a bit of help or I need someone to just listen to me and or I know how you feel it's like yeah it's it's um that's sort of yeah my journey I guess with my depression alongside the, the sort of chronology of my life if if you like. So the final bit I thought would probably be quite good to talk about would be how I feel when um, when I'm in the, the kind of depths of my depression. Um, because I think it's probably the hardest thing to to express and the thing that I've certainly found the most difficult to to 
to explain to people and, and to understand for myself what that is. I, I think there's something that I've, I've done, I'm sure. I'm sure many other people do the same in that when you're when you're struggling the most, when you're in your your darkest moments, they are the they are the times that you have to explain it. They're the times that you have to go to your GP, to your friends, to your family, whoever, and that's really that's really difficult to do because you're you're struggling with these feelings. For me, often I don't I don't know what is don't know what has triggered it. I don't know what's behind it. And um, yes, yeah, so I'm going to sort of attempt really to explain how I feel when I'm in those moments. But I always find it hard because now I'm not in that moment at, at the minute. So the, yeah, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Um, so I think this sort of. Three things I said earlier on, helplessness, worthlessness, pointlessness. They're probably kind of three different strands of feelings that I have. So the, the kind of helplessness is, I think when I'm in the, when I'm in a moment that I'm, sh I'm, I'm finding it really difficult, is that this just isn't gonna go away. It might in the short term, but as a long term, it isn't gonna go away, whatever I do, is going to get me out of the situation that I'm in but it's not going to solve anything long term it's not going to change anything it's not going to make anything any better and that then leads to this sort of question and feeling of pointlessness in that it's pointless doing these things it's pointless going and talking to someone because I just feel like this again in two weeks two months two years whatever it's pointless to try these different solutions because if it's medication, it's only making me feel better because I'm taking the medication. It's not make, it's not changing anything in my life. It's not making anything in the world better. It's just altering my perception or it's just masking part of my mindset. Um, it's altering the chemicals in my brain to stop me from feeling how I should feel, How is what's the natural way for me to feel. I don't think it should be natural for anybody to be unhappy. And that's a yeah, commonality. And then with that is this sort of wor worthlessness as well. Like, I can't fix this for myself. This lack, lack of a loss of depend independence that I'm then, I need someone to, to do this for me. I need someone to, to fix this because I can't do it myself. And those three things, I think, sort of running in a cycle with each other they sort of feed each other you know something feels something feels pointless and then to try and get to a point of of resolving that and having to get help about that makes me feel worthless and then that in itself is making me then feel helpless because I don't want to engage with other people with it and that that's what kind of if there's something specific that's caused it then you can you can i can see that instance of like me struggling with a particular scenario um could be from one of those any one of those things so it could be that it's something that's come up in my life that, I, that i'm really struggling to deal with so like you know bereavement 
<coughs> per the example I gave earlier, that 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 bit is kind of the um, is questioning the the sort of worthlessness of it of it all, and this is where it then becomes more of a, a, a kind of bigger thing um, and goes back to what I was saying earlier about the kind of ex- those existential questions about um, you know what is the what is the point of all of this of all, of of like the accumulation of wealth when you're just going to die anyway so is <laughs> you know again it's not the way that you want to be thinking about things and looking about life but once you start to get into that mindset with things it does become really hard to separate yourself. Oh, I find it really hard to separate myself from that thinking of the the bigger picture then becomes a really negative viewpoint as well. Um, one of the people I, I, I adore um, is Bill Hicks, the comedian, um, because there's so much of his, his comedy, particularly his later comedy, that is very much like kind of driven by that and it's helped me make a lot of sense of it through his own like kind of dismissal of of any of those things being important that they're not that like you know where he talks about the economy being fake because it is all this stuff is just kind of made up but you've just got to find a way through it to you know live your best life basically but that's yeah the opposite side of where I where I feel so that that's probably the common three feelings of how I feel in the, in the midst of it mentally um, and because of this sort of that kind of cyclical nature and in the, the way those themes are interlinked that's mentally really quite fatiguing and tiring um, and I find it hard to get out of then and then to think about other things without those other things that you'll start thinking about as being pointless. Um, and that removes the lack of, like, removes the, the purpose from a lot of things um, as to why you're doing it. And it removes a lot of the joy and the fun from it. So those things that you'd normally do to cheer yourself up or um, to uh, take your mind off things, they just feel like, they're just a distraction for distraction's sake. There's not actually anything good about them or beneficial about them, which is not true at all. And in a in the right frame of mind, I can clear, can clear that with myself very easily. But when I'm when I'm not feeling great, I I find that really hard. So there's that that sort of side of it as well. And then physically, uh, well, my motivation for everything declines very quickly. And that, that has a, an impact uh, physically and they lose that physical mo- motivation to go out and do things. Um, and you just want to stay in bed or on the sofa and not get dressed and, and that. And that in itself is, it, it, it can be a bit of a, a bit of a, a, a kind of cycle then because you have a couple of days where you don't go out and don't do things. It's much easier than the third day to not go out and do things. And the fourth day is even easier and you've got to, f- I have to force myself to to kind of get up and go out even if it's for a walk you know just around the block it will make me feel a bunch better um fresh air is like super important I think for me to get time outside um 
you know, and good for your heart and all of those things as well. And as you can tell, I've just walked up another hill and uh, it's quite warm. It's a nice day. So yeah, sort of, um, I don't know, some hopefully explains a little bit of like how I feel because in, uh, in the moment I just, I can't get those things out. Got a few things that help, which I said about um, exercise, getting outside is massive. I love being in nature. I quite often think, you know, that sort of question, what do you want to, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do for work? How do you want to spend your days? I, I love being outdoors. I'd really, really love to, uh, on the day like today anyway, be, be outside all day. Not sure I feel the same when it's absolutely smashing it down with rain, but um, no, yeah, I, I really like it. It makes me feel a lot better. And exercise in general is just good. Every, you know, I'm not gonna bang on about endorphins and things that I don't really know that much about because there's other people that can, can tell you about those things. But it, all I can say is it, it does work for me and it does make a difference. Music is massive, as you know, probably if you've listened to a pod before, Tom and I are both, uh, well, I would say I'm <coughs> a, an aspirational musician. Tom, I would say, is a musician. So <laughs> different sides of the scale. But um, yeah, w w you know, music's been music's been massively important for me. Um, it's as a as a distraction, as a as something, as a you know, an, a way to express myself. Not even really for anything else other than myself. Just to 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 demonstrate creativity which is a really great outlet in itself um but but as as something that probably of all the different things i've done it, it does seem to be i actually probably play guitar less now than i ever have but it still feels like the thing that um it's a thing i can do and not feel like it's a waste of time and not and not feel like it won't take and 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 it will take my mind off things it will take me somewhere else um and even even with listening to music i get that as well it's a it's a it's a great way for me to switch off the demons i think in in the back of my mind because it yeah it will always it will always take me somewhere else and and it and it works so well so there are a couple of things that that help one thing that um again talked about earlier talking has been it's been huge for me um I'm, I'm on another hill now so i'm gonna get out of breath very quickly uh, <laughs> um talking has been huge for me though it's made such a such a tangible difference it, it, in that it's it's given me an outlet it's given me people in my life now who understand i'll feel a little bit more um, who then it helps them when they see me struggling that they understand what it is, what it is how I'm feeling not just that uh, not just that I'm on the floor kind of thing that's uh, that's really good and I think just uh, also for me to have to have to talk about it has made it make a lot more sense to me so I, I think again maybe mentioned this earlier on but um being in a situation oh, 
This hill is killer. <laughs> Being in a situation where I now want to explain it how I feel and look at it at look at it at a point when I'm not feeling like that, when I'm feeling in in a good place. It's super helpful because will help me identify what those early signs are, what those triggers are, what the questions are floating around in my head that are going to start to manifest themselves into something bigger. I was definitely, even up until a few years ago, I was definitely not in a place where, oh gosh, I'm going to have to stop. Whew. I was definitely not in a place where I... Um, would have been able to understand when I'm slipping into that cycle. Maybe because I had that break in my mid-twenties where it seemed to go away. Um, but it's been prevalent throughout the majority of my thirties and into my early forties as I am now. So it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere soon. I hate to say. Um, remember listening to uh, the footballer Stan Collymore. He said, "Well, um, uh, well documented struggles with his mental health. Um, obviously, the, the sort of incident around him in the France World Cup was it '98." And Eureka Johnson, who's got um, kind of a bit of his own reputation of <clears throat> as not a not a particularly desirable character in some ways. But I remember listening to him talking about it and saying, him saying an important lesson was was kind of embracing his mental health and sort of saying this is part of who I am. I have to own it. I have to I have to learn to engage with it and understand it because. That's, that's in his disposition, that's, that, is, that is a large chunk of who he is. So that was, a, that was an interesting thing to hear and, a, and an interesting take on it. And it certainly led me to think about that a bit more. Um, this is part of me. There might be times, hopefully there'll be lots of times when it's not there. Um, but when it is there, I need to be able to cope with it and deal with it. And, and, and to do that proactively and positively rather than reactively um, will be the thing that will stop it defining me. And, you know, it's part of me, but it doesn't have to define me. And that's, that's kind of the key thing that, that where I want to get to and need to get to with it. So, yeah, I hope that's informative, useful. I'm up to the main road now, as you can hear. Traffic is streaming past, uh, and uh, so I'll leave it there. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Um, as ever, if you got any questions, you got anything you want to ask, ask us about, follow the links. Follow the links in the show note, and uh, you get in touch. Thanks.
Well, I know everyone listening will join me in saying a big thank you to Liam for being so open and telling us all about his journey so far. Let's hope there's lots and lots of good times ahead for him, for me, for all of you out there, and that through continuing to talk about mental health, we can all find better ways to help each other and ourselves. As ever, a big shout out to our patrons who support the show. We can't do this without you folks, so if you'd like to support Everyday Problems, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Tom Corneal, where you can pledge as little as the price of a cup of coffee each month to help us keep the lights on. Take care, everybody. 